Hello, hello, and welcome to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today on the show, we are starting a new series. I've always wanted to dive into the films of Terrence Malick, so that is exactly what we're doing, starting today with his 1978 film, Days of Heaven. Returning to the show for this series is Bethany Worden, a cinephile and a big Malik fan, and I'm so excited to work through these films with her. Stick around. Before we get into the show, don't forget Art House Garage has a Patreon. Sign up today for extended episodes, bonus episodes, video episodes, and ad-free episodes. All that, plus a discount on merch in the Art House Garage shop. Go to patreon.com slash arthousegarage today, or find a link in the show notes. Okay, back to the show. Welcome to Art House Garage. Way back in January, in episode 71, Bethany Worden came on the show to discuss the film Arrival. Around that time is when I learned she's a huge Terrence Malick fan. I had always wanted to do a Malick series on the show to give me an excuse to watch more of his films, and having her back for a series made perfect sense. Bethany works as the Director of Storyteller Support and Advocacy for a company called Define American which is a really cool company. Here's what their website says on their about page. Quote, We're working to humanize the immigrant narrative, one story at a time. Define American is a culture change organization that uses the power of narrative to humanize conversations about immigrants. Our advocacy within news, entertainment, and digital media is creating an America where everyone belongs. End quote. So, that's really cool. I met Bethany through a film club we're both in. If you listen back to the Faith and Film series, this film club comes up many times. Bethany lives out in California. She loves cinema, and she's always a pleasure to talk to. Once we get into the episode, Bethany and I will list out the four films we're going to cover in this series and how we decided on them. Today's film is Days of Heaven from 1978. I'll give some of the basics about this film here before Bethany and I get into the details in just a few minutes, but this film stars Richard Gere, Brooke Adams, and Sam Shepard. Richard Gere plays Bill, and he and his romantic partner Abby, that's Brooke Adams, live in Chicago with his younger sister Linda. At the beginning of the film, Bill has an altercation in his workplace in a factory, and things turn violent. This leads him, his partner Abby, and his sister Linda to get out of town, running away on a train, and eventually finding work on a wheat farm in Texas. Linda is also the narrator, and she explains that Bill and Abby decide not to tell anyone that they are lovers, and instead they decide to pose as brother and sister. They arrive at the wheat farm, and it's run by a character known only as The Farmer, played by Sam Shepard, and he's incredibly wealthy, and we also learn early in the film terminally ill. The farmer has feelings for Abby, and since everyone believes she is single, Bill sees an opportunity to change their situation, since they've been desperately poor their entire lives. The plan is to let Abby marry the farmer so they can all move in and live a comfortable and wealthy life. So that's the basic plot setup of this film. That all happens in about the first third of the story, but it also has gorgeous cinematography, a beautiful score, and more than a few biblical allusions. Bethany and I talk about all that, plus some background on Terrence Malick himself and his style and filmography. We keep this conversation spoiler-free, but if you do want to watch Days of Heaven, which you should, it's really good, uh, it is available to stream now on Amazon Prime Video. 
All right, without further ado, here first is the trailer for the film, followed by my conversation with Bethany Worden about Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven. or what it was about her that caught his eye. Maybe it was the way the wind blew through her hair. Bethany Warden, welcome back to the podcast. How are you today? Good. It's good to be here again. Yeah, I'm so excited. You talked about Arrival last time, and that was such <laughs> a good episode. Uh, it's part of the sort of faith in film uh, section that we did, uh, I guess, series that I did back then. Um, and I, I don't know if it was then or if it was another time that I learned that you are a big fan of Terrence Malick. It must have been probably during that conversation. I think maybe you mentioned it. But anyway was hoping to get you back for something. And I was like, we should do a Malik series because I've always wanted to dive in more. So that's what we're going to do. But before we do, have you been watching anything else recently that you want to highlight? Um, I've been trying to catch up on summer movies that I didn't get a chance to see yet. And um, Labor Day weekend, I went and saw Bodies, 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 which I know yes. you all reviewed on the show already. Um but I really enjoyed it. I'm also like not a horror person, but found mm. it just the right level of creepy and not yeah. too, too mm. gory that I could handle it. But mostly I just loved sort of the send up of Gen Z culture and yeah. Gen Z vernacular. And man, the performances from those young actors uh, was super yeah. impressive. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All the performers are so good. Yeah. The satire of Gen Z is, is great. Yeah. I think it's, it's so cool because like, a lot of the things that are being satirized in that film, if I say that word right, is are like, you know, mental health things and like uh, things that on the surface are like things that should be bringing people together, but they're being weaponized. And like, I love that touch. It's such a, such a cool way to do that. Um, yes. Big fan of that one. That's great. Um, I was looking to see something else that I watched recently. Um, I want to say, first of all, I watched Pearl. I know you just said you don't really like horror movies, oh, yeah. so maybe not your vibe, but I, I really like so. Pearl. I liked X a lot as well. And so mm. Pearl is a prequel to that. And X, so obviously also very scary kind of horror movie. But what I really liked about it, and you might enjoy this about it, is that it has sort of a deconstructive um, sort of theme running through it. Uh, like there's certain characters who are uncomfortable with because they're the characters in the film are making an adult film and um but there's the sort of the process of changing your mind about things i really connect there's a, a great scene about that anyway pearl is the prequel and it's totally different like tonally and it's kind of like wizard of oz technicolor vibe it feels like an old school mm. movie very intentionally but then it's obviously got all this crazy horror stuff too uh and mia goth is the lead and she's so so good in it so recommend that for any horror fans and then totally different thing that you might 
like that's not horror is a movie it's a documentary called one more time with feeling and it, I watched this because it's directed by Andrew Dominic, who he made uh, the assassination of <sighs> blanking on the names, the coward Robert Ford assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which I really like that. I haven't seen that in a few years, several years actually, but he just made the new movie blonde about Marilyn Monroe, which yeah. I'm going to watch soon and review on the show, I think. Uh, but I wanted to catch up with some of his other works. So I watched this one. It's a documentary. It's a music documentary about Nick Cave who I also didn't really know much about him before watching this film. But if anyone is in that same position, you don't have to. You can go into this and uh, you'll learn a lot about him and just kind of his vibe. Um, but it's just really, really well directed. It's this really great black and white. Um, a lot of There's a lot of musical performance scenes, but they never are boring. Like the camera's just doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, a lot of just kind of fun philosophizing and I always like watching things about artists just because it seems like artists are kind of in touch with their feelings in a way that they, whenever you get them talking about it, like that it's not a lot of that. And I really, really liked it a lot. So recommend that one. And that's streaming on movie, I believe is where I watched oh, fun. it. I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. So yes, that's a recommendation. All right. Well, let's talk about Terrence Malick. Um, since this is our first episode in the series, uh, first let's talk about which one's, we're going to be doing over the next four episodes um, and kind of a little bit about him in general. Uh, so the, the plan for today, we're doing days of heaven. Next time we're going to do uh, the new world, which we kind of had a rough categories. I'll say the, the other movies first and then the film night of cups. And then we're going to finish up with a hidden life. And so we kind of wanted to do one older one. And that's what today is days of heaven. Something that's sort of, I don't know, peak Malik, maybe i don't know it went with like tree of life and new world it seemed like that's where he's really kind of um putting out stuff that feels very malicky i guess uh but then also after that there was sort of a un, we call it the underappreciated section like some films that people mostly didn't like as much i haven't seen any of those actually so and i know that you maybe are a, a bit of a defender possibly we'll, we'll find out um so I'm curious to watch that with you and, and talk about that. And then A Hidden Life is just his latest one. And it's, again, for the people who thought he, you know, had some departures there, maybe it's a return to form is kind of how I've heard it put. Um, we'll see if I agree after watching through some things, but uh, I've heard very, very good things about A Hidden Life. That's why I haven't seen that one either. So that's the plan. Um, so I'm really excited to to do this. So I guess the first question I have for you is what is it about Terrence Malick that would you say he's your favorite filmmaker or just one of your favorites or uh, what, what kind of sets him apart from other filmmakers for you? He's definitely one of my favorites, if not my favorite. I don't really have favorites. I don't. Sure. Yeah. I, I like that. Throw it down. But <laughs> yeah. he's definitely up there um, and has been since I saw A New World when I was in college um, and that kind of like kicked off my interest and then I watched everything that he'd made up until that point and I've kept up with him since then. Um, he's not a super prolific filmmaker so it's not mm -hmm. that hard to watch everything yeah. he's made. Um, some of his shorts are definitely harder to track down but his features are very available and he hasn't done that many so yeah. it's easy to be a, a completionist with Terrence Malick films. Um, I think what really draws me to his work um, are both the themes that he explores. Um, there, there's sort of a, 
a yearning, I think, in his films mm. um, to keep trying to answer the same question. Um, I once heard the author Ann Patchett quote another artist um, by saying that um, the work of an artist is to is to keep answering the same question in different ways. Mm. And I feel like you really feel that with Malik's work. Um, mm. He's asking a lot of questions about um, the divide between nature and grace. He's asking a lot about um, what makes us human. Um, he's asking a lot about love and like how can we be connected to other people and disconnected from people um he's asking a lot about the meaning of life and um, what makes it worth living and those are all questions that I feel like I'm asking a lot and so I really enjoy um watching someone else try and answer that over and over and over again um but not in a way that feels repetitive like there's always a sort of like a new nuance or you can sort of feel him age through his films too and mm, sort of like mm. how he's considering these themes and how he's thinking about them differently at different sort of eras of his life. Um, so I just really appreciate that. I really, it feels a little bit like um, going along a life journey with someone. Um, mm. I wish I knew him. Like it's someone I wish yeah. was my friend, you know, it seems like oh, he has yeah. really insightful things to say. That's all so interesting. And, and, yeah, so I, I watched a few of the special features on the Criterion uh, Blu-ray of this, and one of them is an interview with Richard Gere from 2007, I think. And he said, like what you're talking about with answering the same question every time, he said, yeah, he basically makes the same movie every every movie. Um, and he doesn't mean that in a derogatory way, but like I think the same idea that you're getting at. It's like really similar thematic things, but from different angles. And um, yeah, I like that, like ruminating on sort of the same thing. So you kind of know what you're getting when you go into a Malik film in a way, uh, but that's, so that's kind of interesting. Well, I had to answer the question for myself. I've only seen a couple of his films actually. So I, I think I, we rented, my family rented the, a new world back in, you know, back when there were movie rental stores, I guess that was 2005 or something when it had first come out and I was in high school and I remember thinking, Oh, it looks really pretty. This is not the Pocahontas story that I'm used to. And I liked it. I think I probably fell asleep by the end. So it was, I was, I was a kid. I didn't really, fully pay attention to it and so i'm excited to rewatch it um but then uh, the tree of life when it came out in 2011 and i've seen that one two or three times and love 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 that movie um and so I, I, because of that i've always wanted to yeah kind of dive in and and so when i found out you're a fan i was like let's let's do it so what really like um piques my interest too is that you said let's not do tree of life <laughs> which <laughs> that's a beautiful film but it's the one that everyone talks about. And I yeah. just feel mm -hmm. like there's like so much more to his work than that one yeah. very gorgeous film. So that was also really exciting to me to sort of explore some of his other projects that maybe yeah. people aren't as familiar well, with. I'll tell you the reasoning is that because it's like, it's been done enough times. It's also been done twice by me. We actually have two episodes about the, that film already. Uh, one back when I did a sort of an art house starter pack. And it's like, you know, if you want to learn more about art house movies, here's a good place to start with these six movies of different directors. And that was one of them. And then again, with the faith and film uh, discussions, um, I'm blanking on who chose it right at this moment, <laughs> but we did an episode on it. So I've talked about that one twice on the show before. And, and both, I think, good episodes. So go check mm -hmm. them out. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to get into some more things. And like, this is one that I've always wanted to watch, um, Days of Heaven. And and also just to kind of wrap my head around his filmography, because I was like, oh, okay, I know a handful of the titles, but when did all these things come out? 
and that sort of thing is I've kind of been able to dive into that the last week or so in preparation for this. But mm-hmm. um, when we look at a filmmaker too, it's interesting to know, like, are there things about the person? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I know that one of the things I know about him is that he's pretty uh, reserved and doesn't talk about himself much and doesn't do interviews very much and that sort of thing. But do you know anything about him that you think would be helpful uh, as we kind of watch through his films? Yeah, he definitely has a mystique about him. Um, Mm -hmm. For a contemporary filmmaker, there's not that much information available about him. Um, The sort of like rough bio of his life as I understand it, and there's definitely a lot of rumors out there about him. So Mm. this is not all 100% verified. Um, But my understanding is that he was born in Illinois, grew up in like Oklahoma and Texas. he had three brothers, um, and his one of his relationships with his brothers is a big theme in Tree of Life, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his father was from Iran. Um, he's an Assyrian Christian from Iran, um, and that's where his last name, Malik, is a um, okay, yeah. Yeah, Persian last name. That's where that comes from. Um, but sort of where like most of the information about him comes is... Um, from friends uh, that he went to boarding school with in Austin, Texas. He went to an Episcopal boarding school um, through, I think, most of elementary and then all the way through high school, um, which is kind of a unique experience. Uh, I don't think that that many American children go to boarding school. And so sort of like growing up in that kind of um, unique environment, I think probably shapes a lot of his work uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I think also going to a religious school is like really apparent in his work. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, this school is like quite socially progressive um, while also, you know, sort of exploring traditional religious um, ideas. Uh, there are rumors that he considered going to seminary. I think that's <laughs> a rumor about a lot of <laughs> filmmakers of <Yeah>. the era. <laughs> um, but what he ended up doing was studying philosophy at Harvard. Um, and then my understanding is from there, he spent a little bit of time in journalism and writing and sort of traveled the world and then um, came back to Texas and started making films. Um, he's one of the sort of Austin filmmakers. Um, he lives on a ranch in Austin, Texas. He's, as I understand, um, kind of involved in UT Austin's writing program. He definitely like chooses protege um, kind of young filmmakers to champion their work. So every once in a while at a film festival, you'll see a film, a very Malick-esque film that mm-hmm. <laughs> has been exec yeah. produced by him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he definitely like has a, has a young filmmaker following. That's cool. I noticed on IMDb, he has a lot of production credits that I didn't look at them closely, but that must be, I didn't know that connection. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, didn't, I actually didn't know a lot of that. I knew... Uh, so what I did a little bit of reading, but everything I was seeing was just about like college and, and studying philosophy and how that's informing his filmmaking possibly. And there's lots of writing and, and things about that. Actually, I looked up just like Terrence Malick books on Amazon and they're all like philosophy and film textbooks, like college textbooks, which I did actually, I got a couple from the library. I'm going to try to read a little bit as we go through, but, uh, but yeah, that's all super interesting. I didn't know that about the boarding school either. And so I've watched one time I watched the 
like director's cut or extended cut of tree of life. And there's a whole boarding school section that's cut from the original, from the, the theatrical cut. So that obviously lines right up with his own, uh, experience. So that's interesting to know. Um, wow. That's great. Um, the only other things, yeah, I, I did a little reading, and this is not really about his life, but just about him as a person. But multiple people have talked about his indecisiveness and sort of his. Uh, there's actually an article that just popped up last week. I, I was just skimming through. I was like, oh, what are the odds that there's an article here about Days of Heaven? But it was talking about the editing process and saying that even in college, he tended to, uh, again, this is all speculation, really, like this is not confirmed, but just that he would sometimes have when he was writing just have tons and tons and tons of material and have a, a great deal of difficulty editing it down to a manageable length and that's maybe also what happened with this film days of heaven and i think with tree of life too so it's sort of a maybe a, a trend and then in a couple of the interviews i watched on the criterion thing they just said offhand yeah he couldn't make a decision it took forever and so that's why this happened and um so that's interesting i, I can relate to that i think on some level uh, let's leave everything in. and that also explains why there's extended cuts of multiples of his films maybe that we had these uh i think for new world entry of life at least there's an extended cut but so that's all interesting to note uh yeah. I was just going to add, because uh, I know that you recently did a series on auteur theory, um, mm. that Malik is often grouped in the um, yeah. collection of transcendental filmmakers, um, which is a concept by Paul Schrader, um, the filmmaker and critic, that there are a group of filmmakers whose work is primarily um, occupied with looking for the transcendent, like things that are sort of ineffable and beyond our understanding. Um, and uh, many people sort of put Malik in, into that group of filmmakers as well. Yeah. Yes, I did. I did see that too. Again, so he, um, so yeah, I think that, so he went to Harvard. I want to say he spent a little time at Oxford and then left and went to film school. And that there was I think in the same cohort as Paul Schrader. Um, and I think like David Lynch was the year behind him or something too. So like uh, some big names there. And um, another thing I saw was that he often is sort of lumped in with like American new wave um, that the kind of early seventies, um, even though in a lot of ways he kind of stands apart from that. And I'll, I may have a little bit more to say about that, but that, which that movement I'm not an expert on, but I think it was, you know, French new wave had happened and it was sort of carrying over from that. We're having like handheld cameras and documentary style in, in narrative films. And um, just some of the ways that the French new wave broke the rules kind of carrying over to the U S which is a really nice transition from our previous French new wave thing into to this new series. Um, but yeah, so I think Paul Schrader, multiple people have told me that I would really like his book about transcendental style and I haven't read it yet, but that's, something on my list to do but yeah that de definitely makes sense uh can feel some of that like more like more poetic kind of uh feeling is something a word that i've seen used a lot about his his films as well well i thought we might talk through his filmography really just briefly and what his films are because he's, as you said there's not that many of them and sort of the the time frames of them just to give some context and I meant to pull this up on IMDb before we started recording, but here we go. I'm almost there. Uh, so if we look at the films that he's directed, he, uh, and from what I read too, is that he kind of came into film school with a script ready to go for his first film, which is Badlands. And that one I have not seen, but it stars, um, 
Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have seen that film, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And you're a fan of it generally? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely of its era and a first time film Um, Mm -hmm. has lots of uh, really reminds you of Bonnie and Clyde, which I think came out, mm. you know, maybe five years before or something like that. Um, so it, it, yeah, you can like feel the seventies in it. Uh, mm. I don't think it's my favorite, but it's definitely a good film. Like it's a very yeah. impressive first feature. Definitely one that I need to catch up with. I'm going to try, I don't know if I'll be able to be a completist at the end of this, but I'm going to try to watch a few more as we go. And that's one. And, and so then, so that was 1973 and then days of heaven, which we're talking about today is his second film. Uh, 1978 and a few things that I saw said that this is really where he kind of like put his style out there for the first time like this is where we get a sense of who he is stylistically and what we'll see going forward Um, and then interestingly 20 year break at that point and that is when I read possibly just the editing process was so long and, and overwhelming that took a took some time away so it didn't come back until 1998 with the thin red line which is, I've not seen, but it's a war film. And uh, again, always wanted to watch and hopefully will soon. And then in 2005, seven years later, The New World, which we're going to do in a few uh, weeks here. And then The Tree of Life in 2011. And then uh, the run of these maybe sort of underappreciated To the Wonder, Knight of Cups, um, and Song to Song is 2012, 2015, and twenty. 17. In the midst of that, he also has a documentary called Voyage of Time, which is, uh, from what I understand, is sort of like about the f- beginning of the universe. What it sounds like the, the spacey stuff of Tree of Life in its own kind of nature documentary, if that's maybe accurate. Yeah, it's like uh, an IMAXy science film. Very beautifully yeah. shot, but yet yeah. not really much of a story. Gotcha. I would love to see it, you know, at the the planetarium, you know, like exactly. one of those like school field trip, it'd be the ultimate school field trip movie to go see. <laughs> uh, and then after song to song in 2017 came back with a hidden life in 2019. And that one uh, we're going to watch as well in a few weeks. And that's about world war two. And um, from all accounts, it's really good. So I'm excited to watch it. So that's kind of his uh, up to now films. He also uh, has one that is coming before too long. I don't know when it's coming, but it's in post-production according to IMDb called the way of the wind, which is directly about the life of Christ, which that is interesting to me. And I can't wait to see that. So that is Malik's filmography just to, as a quick run through. So uh, I guess let's get into days of heaven. So of among his films, is this one of your favorites sort of in the middle or, or again, you don't have to compare apples and oranges if you don't want to you know, rank or whatever. Uh, but how do you feel about this film and how do you feel it connects with his others or stands apart? Uh, I really love this film. Uh, you know, since I started watching his work in 2005 with a new world, then this was one of the few other ones to watch at the time. Um, And so I watched Badlands, uh, Days of Heaven, and Thin Red Line kind of in quick succession. Um, I tend to do that when I discover a filmmaker I like. I just want to, like, get them all. (laughs) Um, And I think it was of those um, three at the time, it was really Days of Heaven is the one that Mm. stuck with me. Um, It's one that I return to. I'm not someone that watches films a lot of times, but this is one Mm. that I've returned to. Uh, many times 
Um, I feel like it's a really great introduction to the questions and the themes that Mm. he keeps asking through the rest of his filmography uh, so far. And um, yeah, I I agree with the critics that that say, you know, this is kind of like the beginning of Malick as a, as a auteur and a a brand um, really makes his mark with this one. That's cool. This was my first time watching it. As I mentioned, I really, really loved it. Um, I think that, visually it's so incredible uh we're going to talk probably more about that but um so, so stunning and then just like the quietness of it it's i i wouldn't say it's like a slow film but it is and maybe maybe people would say that but it is it's quiet and it's kind of it pauses frequently and um and, and so a few things that i noted too is that he kind of went about this wanting to make a silent film and so there's there's not a lot of dialogue there's a lot of um just observing things, uh, the, the, the world that we're in, the setting that we're in, which is so beautifully like production designed and art design and costume design, all really, really well done. Um, but yeah, mostly I always, I just keep thinking about the cinematography and how just stunning it is, but yeah. So what about you, as far as like the filmmaking goes, are there, whether like directorial technical kind of things about this film that you really appreciate? Um, obviously the cinematography, um, this is up there as one of my visually favorite films. Um, all of the really wide uh, pastoral scenes intercut mm-hmm. with these really like intimate home life um, and relationship um, shots. Mm-hmm. That, uh, he does a really good job of sort of like giving both the grand and the intimate. Um, yes. Love that. Yeah. The I also love all of the back lit scenes in this film Mm. there's lots of sunrises and sunsets there's lots of people in front of flames um, people Mm. at open windows Um, and I just think that sort of uh, you know masking I guess of the people Mm. and and of of what they're going through um, is really interesting um, that it can still, you know, you can't see that well when something is backlit, but there's still so much emotion in those scenes. And I think that's really, um, remarkable. Um, you mentioned the quietness. I really love the sound design in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things I was really paying attention to this time was, um, the difference in the way that the sound is between the city scenes and the machine scenes and then like the farm Mm. scenes Mm -hmm. um it starts out really loud when they're in that factory um at the beginning um it's really loud in the scenes with like the trains and the wheat threshers and all of the machinery and then a lot of the rest of the film is really quiet with like minimal music um minimal uh dialogue um, a lot of it feels like a lot of ambient sound. Um, so I, yeah, I really enjoy the soundscape in this film. Yeah. So I was thinking too, as you were talking, like the sound of the, the wheat just blowing in the wind and like, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, there's so many moments where he stops and just looks at animals and nature and like, uh, and I really like all of that as well. It, a few of the things that I watched. So I guess I can talk briefly. There's on the Criterion disc, there's a interview with Richard Gere and with Sam Shepard, the two um, actors 
in the film and then both of the cinematographers or directors of photography who because there are two and i can tell you their names really quickly um the first is the person who kind of is credited with it like has the, the credit and won the oscar for this actually for cinematography and his name is i'm almost there um nestor uh, almendros who actually i think is deceased but he, and on the criterion disc is an interview with his camera operator john bailey and some interesting anecdotes about that and what cameras they use they get pretty nitty-gritty about it uh, but then they both had to leave because of a conflict actually he had to go work with Truffaut. he had a prior commitment with, with francois Truffaut. like oh that's cool and then uh, a man named haskell wexler took over and um he yeah, he's still living and he gives a, a short interview on the, the criterion thing as well. And so there may be a few tidbits that I bring up out of those. And then there's also a, a commentary on the disc, which I, I rewatched about 30 minutes of the film. I didn't have time to redo the whole thing, but there's some interesting stuff in the commentary, which I might bring up in a minute. And then there's a couple of essays in the book that are good too. But something that I really enjoyed also about the film was the, yeah. So on the cinematography briefly, it is, it stands apart for me from the other films that I've seen, which is new world and tree of life, because those are so, I mean, there's a lot of lush greens and like, uh, they feel more modern in a way, like, especially in tree of life, there's all these interesting shots of the city as well, which it's like this really modern architecture and all of that. And this is, yeah, again, this pastoral things, like you're saying, and the, the frontier and, um, so many shots of the wheat fields. And it just is a totally different feel and really kind of unique, I haven't seen a lot of films set in that time period, especially not that look this amazing. Um, so I, I really like that visual part of it. But then I want to mention the music also, which is so, so good. Ennio Morricone did the score. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I'm not sure, but he's sort of legendary composer and um, really, really gorgeous score. I think, which was nominated, but maybe didn't win for the Oscar that year. But um Interestingly, there's a couple of other pieces that he did not write, and I wanted to bring this up. Um, I learned this in the Criterion essay uh, that I was reading. Uh, the The opening sequence, it shows all these kind of sepia tone photos as the opening credits are going. Uh, and I didn't realize until the second time it ends with a photo of Linda, like one of the characters of the film, but it, they've matched the style. So it looks like these actual old photos, which is kind of cool. And then that transcends, tra- transitions into the film. Um, but over that is playing a different piece from the carnival of the animals, which uh, you might recognize if you heard it. I thought it sounded familiar. And, and um, I can't remember the composer who it's like a famous piece from hundreds of years ago. But what's interesting is that his uh, Morricone's kind of theme for the film is intentionally sort of a, a mirroring of that melody. So I, it sounds kind of familiar as you get back to it. Uh, and it was a, he, he sort of based his theme on, on that piece.
that's that's interesting but then there's another great musical thing and that's after the the fight scene in the 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 uh, metal factory we see them kind of on the run and there's this uh it's this kind of like plucky folky song it's called the train and the gate by leo katka It's really, really great as well. So all of those things musically are great. The score is amazing. So that's definitely one of the things that I'll uh, take away from it as well. And as I mentioned, like the production design, the costume design are all super like just on point and, and you really can kind of get lost. It feels so genuine that you're in this time time, time frame. So the setting is just really well, well realized. Um, and we can probably talk about the fire scene too. It's incredible. It's just like a set, as a set piece. But then um, the narration I want to mention too, it has this really colorful narration from the character of Linda. And um, as I was listening to the commentary and stuff, some of that was really improvised. Uh, and there's a few things I want to talk about within it later, but um, she has such an accent and is speaking very kind of vernacular uh, English in a, in a very particular way that is so fun to listen to. And it doesn't always directly relate to what you're seeing. It's just kind of like, her thoughts, which is good because I, I, bad voiceover just like tells you what you need to know, right? But this is this enriches the experience so much uh, listening to what she has to say. So I really like that about it as well. What else do I get into today? In fact, all three of us been going places, looking for things, searching for things, going on adventures. They told everybody they were brother and sister. My brother didn't want nobody to know. You know how people are. You tell them something, they start talking. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the narrator, because I was going to ask what what you thought about that. Like, it's such an unconventional choice, mm-hmm. I think, for a narrator. It's you know not one of the main characters. It's also not really an omniscient voice. It's definitely not a reliable narrator. Like it's very Mm -hmm. personalized, I think, to Linda, like you're saying her vernacular and, you know, what she notices um, playing out versus, you know, what we see playing out. Um, Yeah, I always find that interesting. I don't really have like an an answer or like an epiphany or anything about why he chose that narrator, but I'm always intrigued by her. It's interesting. So one thing I did read, again, I haven't seen Badlands, but there's also a voiceover in that that's kind of unconventional, right? Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So that's an interesting kind of through. I'm trying to think through. So like Tree of Life, it's not voiceover exactly. I guess it is, but it's like the little boy's prayers almost through mm-hmm. a lot of it. And he's saying like, Father, why did you do this? Mother, all these things. Is there a God? Like the, all kinds of things like that, which is kind of its own whole thing. But I guess it, in a way it's related tangentially, but um yeah. And then I really like what you said about the kind of the the big and the small and kind of those coexisting, which is almost a theme, I think, too. And that's what I love about Tree of Life is that it doesn't get any bigger than like the creation of the universe. And it doesn't get any smaller than like one 
boy in Texas and his experiences and like both are given equal weight. And, um, I really love that aspect. I mean, I totally see that here as well with these huge grand landscapes. And then, yeah, these personal dynamics that you're talking about, like seeing their conversations in the bedroom and like the the relationship dynamics and how complicated that gets in this film. So all really good. Love all of that. Uh, Yeah. So what about thematically? Is there things about the story or the, the, the themes of this film that you really like? I mean, yes, because Malik's asking the questions that I always want to know the answer to. Um, I think one thing about this one in particular thematically that always strikes me is how much it feels like an old Testament story. Like Mm -hmm. the, the nomads, like the wandering that's involved Mm -hmm. in it. Um, the, the sort of like trading your spouse for yeah, yeah. good graces of someone else, the mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. of the like growing and locusts and burning and all of those analogies there. And I just, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to sort of see like a biblical epic come to life in the yeah. American West. And um, I think that's one of the, the things about this one that I always find particularly um, special. Yeah, absolutely. I had I made just like a laundry list of like, oh, this feels like a Bible thing. And actually, as I was watching, when I realized what the setup was with like the sister wife situation, I was like, is this from Greek mythology? What is this? And I was like, wait, this is from the Bible. Of course, it's Terrence Malick. It's from the Bible. Um, but then, yeah, there's a plague of locusts. There's a you know a fire plague, essentially. Um, and, and actually, I thought about this too, as I was rewatching with the commentary, that opening scene in the metal factory uh, where he gets in the fight with his, I guess, his foreman or whoever which I think the implication is that he's died, right? Is that, I think is that so, your understanding yeah. of it? Mm-hmm. It's not exactly clear, but I mean, that's, I guess, why he would run away. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that kind of reminds me of Moses because mm-hmm. there's the scene where Moses kills the slave driver and then flees into the desert. Um, yeah, and then I also really love Linda's in the narration. One of the things I want to bring up is she has this apocalyptic um, s- sort of vision almost that she's like, I met this guy uh, on the train and he told me this stuff about the apocalypse. I met this guy named Ding Dong. He told me the whole earth is going up in flames. Flames will come out of here and then. They'll just rise up. The mountains are going to go up in big flames. The water's going to rise in flames. There's going to be creatures running every which way. Some of them burn, half their wings burning. People are going to be screaming and hollering for help. See, the people that have been good, they're going to go to heaven and escape all that fire. Shocker! I need shocker! But if you've been bad, God don't even hear you. He don't even hear you talking. And one thing that I learned, interestingly, about as reading about this is that was improvised. She actually had literally met a guy the night before and was just saying this on the microphone. And he was like, this is perfect. We're putting this in the movie, which seems so wild because it perfectly foreshadows the end of the film with the fire. Because she talks about the fire is going to come out of uh, the water and then all these animals will be burning, Um, which, yeah, it's. Maybe, I don't know, it seems too perfect to be a happy accident quite the way they're saying it is, but um, maybe that's just one of those apocryphal stories, but uh, interesting. And so she says the name of the person that she heard this from is, she says a man named Ding Dong, which actually his the so the person that actually was working on the set is named dick dong and she got his name wrong is what what i heard i thought that was such a funny thing um but anyway yeah i love that 
that touch. And there, I feel like there's something else. She says a few things that are sort of spiritual in nature thinking about because there's that she has that description of the apocalypse and then she says something about god doesn't listen to you if you are a bad person um the good people will, will go to heaven or whatever won't have to deal with this plague uh or whatever so that i thought that was interesting and again totally seems to foreshadow um where the story goes but i really like all the bible stuff um i like the, the sort of the americana feel of it too and this is something that in richard year's interview he brought up is that it's it's feels like a very american movie but in a in an immigrant sort of a way and sort of the striving to succeed and and like making this wild choice because for the first time in your life you won't be destitute and poor and um that again feels like a very american story um but also perfectly aligns up with the old testament story that you're like you're saying um yeah i love all that thematic stuff it's just got like these echoes of biblical things in this sort of modern day fable in a way that i thought worked really really well so Mm -hmm. yes love all of that stuff yeah i i feel like one of the things that is sort of a theme in a lot of malik films is he often likes to explore dichotomies Mm. um and i feel like there's a lot of really interesting thematic dichotomies in this story and Mm. one of them like you mentioned is is sort of this dichotomy between wanting a life of ease and striving for more and like where the characters kind of find themselves in that swinging back and forth on that pendulum throughout the film, I think is a really interesting thing to track. Um, You know, there's obviously like a lot of moral ambiguity, like Mm. no one's really good and no one's really bad. You know, Mm. there's like lots of really complicated characters and um, Linda has a great voiceover uh, towards the end where she talks about um, we've got half devil and half angel in us Mm -hmm. and just like sort of, seeing that play out in all of the character decisions as well. Um, Absolutely. Well, are there any other thoughts about this film or favorite moments that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to bring up? um, I think there's a, there's a sort of interesting, like subtle sense of danger or unease Mm -hmm. flowing Mm -hmm. through this very comfortable film. Um, I sometimes talk about films that are like cozy to me. Uh, and this is one of those, like, it's really like comfortable to watch. It feels really warm. Um, I think partially cause it's so beautiful and golden. It's just really easy mm-hmm. to like sink into, but underneath it, there's just this like current of like, things are not going to stay this way. And like, the, yeah. don't get mm-hmm. too comfortable and don't take too much ease. And um, you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. And I think mm-hmm. that, that tension that Malik was able to find um, is really compelling. Um, This time I was noticing uh, there's a scene uh, where one character is observing some of the other characters in the story and there's a windmill behind him. Mm -hmm. And as the scene progresses and that character's emotions are getting higher, the windmill starts going faster and faster and faster Mm -hmm. until it's like kind of the only thing you can hear in this scene, which is actually like should otherwise be very like calm and pleasant, you know, like looking Mm -hmm. at the prairie. Um, So just like all these really subtle ways that Malik keeps us uneasy, I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's great. Um, 
as far as anything else I want to mention, yeah, I, I don't know what else there is to say about the fire sequence, but it's so incredible and, and like so um, like scary, like it's genuinely frightening. And and from the little behind the scenes stuff I read, like it, it was contained and like there were fire handlers there. But from what I read, it was like we probably weren't doing quite enough safety. So like it really was pretty dangerous. And you kind of get a sense of that um, in the film and, and, and the locust. One thing too, like my favorite probably shot of the whole film is the locust scene. So like the locusts show up and they're seeing them in the kitchen and all this. And then there's this kind of really wide shot where Richard Gere's standing in the front and there's kind of a few just people scattered, like placed very intentionally, you can tell. And then the locusts are flying up and he's just kind of looking at them. And it's such a stunning shot. And interestingly too about that shot how they did that um so they uh like they had obviously like real locusts there for like the close-ups and stuff um but to get the that sense of like a, a huge swarm like going through the sky they dropped they and it was peanut shells that were painted black and they dropped them out of a helicopter and they reversed the shot and so that means that everyone in the shot that's moving a little is going backwards like they had to rehearse going backwards isn't that so interesting and you can't that's get incredible. It, like, it feels totally natural as you're watching it there's like two shots of that kind of thing um, so i thought that was super interesting to to learn um and yeah, I'll just go through my kind of notes of the special features that any little interesting factoids. This is mostly like behind the scenes kind of trivia stuff. Uh, for one thing, I didn't realize this either, but this is basically Richard Gere's first, he says his first real movie. Like he had been a stage actor up to this point and wasn't really into cinema, but he had seen Badlands and liked it and wanted to work with Terrence Malick. And he, he really credits this experience with kind of uh, putting him on on an actor to screen actor path. Um, even though from what he said and a few other people too, that he, Terrence Malick is not really an actor's director. And like, they had to do a lot of like, he, it was frustrating as often what the word that is used that he wasn't really giving them as much direction as they were used to, especially him as a stage actor where I guess everything is really controlled. Um, and so it, he, it was a kind of dropping him into the deep end a little bit um, getting into that. So he had, I think that he had Richard Gere had worked with Brooke Adams before, or, or maybe like he just knew her. Uh, and he said in this interview, which is again, it's 2007. So it's many years after this film was made that he, he genuinely had like quite a crush on her. And so that kind of made the acting easier. So that was kind of a cute little thing. Um, they're all very good too that, looking in that yeah. film. <laughs> yes, it's true. I was I was watching it with headphones and my wife was doing something else. I was like, Allison, look at Richard Gere, 1978, hubba hubba. What a handsome guy. Um, yeah, it's wild to see him just that young. And, and I, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't realize it was basically his first major film. Um, he also talked about the fact that they shot in, in Canada. They wanted to shoot in Texas, but this is another case of Terrence Malick he said Terry couldn't make his mind up and took so long that they ended up having to like all the wheat had been harvested and they had to move North, North, North up to Canada. And, and but then ended up being a, a kind of a happy accident because the light was amazing up apparently that, that North um, getting for the cinematographers, getting all the, the shots they wanted. Uh, so that was interesting to hear. There's a lot of interesting stuff in the cinematographers one, but it's, it's pretty nitty gritty stuff. And mostly they just talk about getting the light right and what cameras and using like handheld cameras, which were fairly new, like being able to like the newest things, like there's a shot during a sort of a conflict scene um, where Sam Shepard's character is taking Brooke Adams character down the stairs. And it's kind of really kind of frightening and he's very angry with her and like the, the way they got that and how challenging that was compared to like all the wide shots outside, which another thing, which goes along with the big and the small 
and and kind of the would be the existential feeling of this whole thing a few different people have noted just seeing a tiny human on this huge frame just puts you in that mindset anyway um, which is kind of a cool thing um sam shepherd's interview is really interesting too it's a little shorter but uh he's of course a playwright and like has such a a writery way of talking but he he says he opens his thing i thought this was a good little quote he says something about i didn't write it exactly but it's fun to intellectualize terrence malick's films but he says to me they aren't intellectual they're visceral and he says like a great poem you can kind of analyze it to death but it's still not gonna really explain why it feels the way it feels i thought that was a cool way to to talk about that and, and feels feels true i think yeah that feels very apt yeah, i like that a lot and then one other thing that was interesting is he compares his own character the farmer uh to citizen kane and i thought that was cool because he as a as a character who kind of has a lot and but always still kind of wants more and isn't quite happy in his skin kind of thing and you because there's a scene early on where basically his financial advisor is telling him like you're doing great and you're the richest man around and then he also has like one year to live um but yeah you can tell he's like he's not happy and he's he's kind of lonely and both of them actually both of the actors talked about like the loneliness of that time was a really prevalent thing um because you'd be out in the middle of the frontier just you and a few other people all the time and like that's it um so that that was interesting like just character things that they got into um and then they also both noted that like they would have a plan and the the camera people noted this too they would have a plan for the day and then terrence malick would say oh wait there's some geese over here we have to scrap everything that we've just spent hours preparing for and go shoot this right now and a lot of that ended up in the film and so like it was worth it and, that, and that's uh, just a, a thing of kind of about how he uh, operates so i thought that was cool as well did they explain um, I, why there yeah, are so many animals in the film? Did they talk about why there are so many animals in the film? Because I find that really yeah. interesting. They're, they're like always cutting away to animals. And I'm not Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they. I, I think they, they both kind of touched on that. And like all, uh, multiple of the interviews did, but it was all just kind of like, that's what Terry wanted to do. And they all called him Terry. Um, and I, yeah, it's catching the the natural beauty it seems like it's really important to him and in, including that there's one scene too that's just like a storm cloud that's just something that i noted that was like so gorgeous and it was like yeah you just had to be in the right place with the camera on at, at the right time to to catch that but yeah, it really adds texture to it all but yeah i don't know there there is so much just focus on nature that seems really just to add kind of flavor to the setting i guess mm -hmm. um but I really like that about it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm curious to watch for that kind of stuff going forward too, especially with like the new world. Cause I know there's lots of out in nature. I mean, basically the whole story I think is kind of out in nature. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I think that's pretty much everything. Uh, oh, one, one other note was that he actually, Ter Terrence Malick really wanted John Travolta for this role instead of Richard Gere, mm. like really, really tried to make that happen. And it didn't, it couldn't work it out. So he ended up getting Richard Gere and, and, was really happy with that but i thought that was such an interesting thing to to think about uh this film and with a different star in that that role but yeah well that's days of heaven uh anything else before we wrap up this episode it's been really interesting to to dig into this one with you i don't think so i'm looking forward to the the next conversations too yeah me too. So next time is a, a new world, the new world, sorry, the new world, which again, I watched back in 2005 or 2006 when it was new. Um, there is an extended version. I'm trying to decide 
I think I'll probably watch just the theatrical. I tend to like I've I liked the Tree of Life extended, but I was like the theatrical is is what it is for a reason. I think uh, maybe one day I'll watch that one, uh, that extended one. But yes, very excited to watch that and and dig into it with you next time. All right. Well, thanks so much, Bethany. This has been such a great conversation and I, I'm so excited to continue on with you. And uh, yeah, thanks again for, for your time. Thank you. It's been fun. Huge thanks to Bethany. That was such a great conversation. I'm so excited for three more with her going through some other Malik films. So stay tuned for those. Next week on the show, I'm not exactly sure just yet what is going to be discussed it might be the new andrew dominic film blonde maybe something else new that's coming out stay tuned it'll be something and it'll be great and with that thank you thank you for listening to art house garage we've got a few years worth of episodes you can hear all of them in your podcast app of choice our theme music is by composer paul hunefeld learn more at appallingproductions.com if you want to support art house garage become a patron over at patreon.com slash art garage or find a link in the show notes you can also buy an art house garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop if you want to support us without spending any money leave a rating or review in your podcast app and that is hugely helpful stay in the loop about arthouse garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe or you can always email me directly andrew at arthousegarage.com and of course follow on social media you can find us on facebook twitter instagram and letterboxd just search at arthouse garage in all those places or find links in the show notes and that will do it for this episode thank you again so much for listening and until next time keep it snob free